But Father, 95% of what is in the book of Revelation is found throughout all the books of your word, the Bible. And so, Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit who inspired men to write those words, that he would open our eyes and give us ears of understanding in the spiritual concerning the times and events that are to come. That, Lord, it's not a mystery if we look to your word and we look to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, let me just tell you what I'm going to do tonight. wasn't what I originally had planned. We're going to teach on the tribulation period. But um, as I was looking at my calendar, I realized we made one fatal um, mistake in counting things out. Uh, next week is Easter, and so next, next Easter Sunday, obviously, we're, night, we're not going to be here because everybody will be off visiting everybody, whatever. So then um, our plan was to then pick up the following Sunday and go to May 1st, and then because the following Sunday is Mother's Day, and I know nobody's coming back on Mother's Day because Mama would whoop me, you know, if you left. And so, uh, but then I remembered that May 1st is our church celebration Sunday and we'll be all day outside after service and baptism and by the time we finish that it's going to be like four o'clock three thirty four o'clock five o'clock and I'm thinking nobody's coming back <laughs> I mean unless we bribed you or something and so um, anyway so we're going to try and get through this and we may have to go one Sunday after Mother's Day but originally I had planned to do the tribulation period over a two-week period because there's so much detail, and even two weeks is not enough. But tonight I'm going to do just an overview, kind of a synopsis of cliff notes, okay? And so questions afterwards, I'll try and fill in the blanks. And then here's what I'll do, is at the end, after the thing, when you get home and you get to thinking, what about this, or what about this? Write them down, give them to me ahead of time, and when we come back again in two weeks, we'll start with those questions and answers. And then we'll get into the teaching for that Sunday. Does that sound okay? Now, if you have the, the, the teaching syllabus, there's a lot more information in there than what I'm going to be able to cover tonight. Because the last time I did that, we did it on DVD in two sessions. But the last time I taught it, we did it in three sessions. We did the first part, the last part, and what happens in the middle. So obviously, this is going to be just hitting the high points. Okay? Is that all right? All right. So anyway, and so because of this, I made these last minute changes. I don't have any slides like I have been using the last several weeks. But uh, we'll, we'll use the chart and we'll try and make these things clear and we'll give you the scripture references and all of, the, all of those things. And in fact, what I'll do is next time or between now and then, I will print up an outline of the main points with the scripture references I use and I will put them on our website and you can download them. Okay? Does that sound fair? Yes? What version of the Bible do I use? Um, most of the time I'm going to be sticking usually like the New King James or I may be using um, 
one that came out a few years ago called the Modern English. It's actually closer to the King James, New King James, than uh, any of the other ones. Um, once in a while, New Living Translation, but almost always I'm going to be pulling from either the NASB or the New King James or something, one of the ones that's been around for a long time. And uh, the only time I ever switch to something else is if it helps bring a little more clarity to what is in there. But I'll usually put both versions when I do that up on the screen and tell you what they are, okay? So what you need to understand is we're talking about the tribulation period. The outline of the book of Revelation, there's an outline there, okay? Chapter 1 is the salutation. It is the greeting. Um, chapters 2 and 3 are the, the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. In chapters 4 and 5, John sees a heavenly scene, a heavenly uh, of 24 elders representing the saints of Old Testament and New Testament. And the tribulation period, it begins in chapter 6 and goes all the way through chapter 19, verse 11, somewhere around there. And then the last three chapters of Revelation deal with the millennial kingdom in the eternal perfect state. So um, we are going to be concentrating from Revelation chapter 6 over this seven-year period all the way down to Revelation 19. It is at this point when Christ comes back and what you've heard many times, the term, the, um, the battle of Armageddon takes place. It's really not a battle. It's a series of battles, and I want to be able to teach you on that. And so if we didn't do this synopsis tonight, there'd be no way to have a night just to do that when Christ comes back and what takes place on the earth during that time. So anyway, <clears throat> this is what this is all about. Now, Bible prophecy, the center of discussion, we need to understand is focused on the area of the Middle East, okay? The nation, the key nation is Israel. Um, the country is Israel. The nation of Israel, the people are the Jews. And the city, the holy city that we all read about is Jerusalem, okay? <clears throat> we need to understand that. There's four basic purposes for the tribulation period. Most people, most Christians, the little bit they know, they think it's God pouring out judgment on all the bad people, all the evil, okay? <clears throat> More than that, the, the main purpose of the tribulation period is to bring Israel back to God. If you remember a week or so ago, I talked about the vision that Daniel had of, of 70 weeks and that he was, it was revealed to him that those weeks were seven years. So it was 70 times seven or 490 years. From the time that Daniel had that vision to the time that Christ was killed. In fact, that's what Daniel says from the time till the anointed one is cut off, cut off meaning killed. It was 483 years out of the total 490 years. And it was said that 
that 490 years was bestowed upon Daniel's people. Daniel was a Jew. And so this seven-year period that's known as the tribulation, 69 years took place, or, or 69, 483 years from the time of the decree to rebuilding the temple to the time that Christ was crucified right here, 483 years took place. So there's one seven-year period that is still left that was decreed in the book of Daniel upon the Jews. And that is this seven-year period right here. And so the major portion of the reason for the tribulation period is to bring Israel back to God. And... Um, so you need to understand that. The second one, the second main reason, is to bestow wrath upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. The Antichrist is not a world leader. Um, he, he, he doesn't start off that way. He will have world influence. There's no doubt about that. His government will have influence once he attains that position. Um, but he has actually several goals in mind. He doesn't start off as a world dictator at all. But um, the reason, another, the second reason for the tribulation is to bring wrath, God's wrath against the Antichrist and his kingdom, his kingdom being the nations that align with his purposes. The third reason for the tribulation is to usher in a last day revival. Okay, I know you, that doesn't sound right, but we'll, I'll show you briefly where this is taking place. That God, because God desires that none should perish, right? And so, part of the reason is that would would people would turn back to God. All right, and then the fourth reason is simply to destroy those who are rebellious against God, the evildoers, and to usher in righteousness. And when I say usher in righteousness, I'm talking about usher in the return of Christ, physical return of Christ back to earth where he will set up a kingdom for 1,000 years, okay? So it's mainly to turn the Jews back to God, it is to pour out God's wrath upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. It is to usher in a last day revival. And it is ultimately to destroy evil and to usher in righteousness. That's the purpose of the tribulation period, okay? This, this is why so many people miss it with misunderstanding. They think that the tribulation is, is persecution um, to purify the church. Those who teach that the people, uh, the church will go through the tribulation, they say it's to purify the church. And I, I pointed it out a couple of weeks ago. That is a falsehood. In fact, it's an atrocity. It's heresy to what the Bible says because it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are made pure and we are restored and made whole. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his purpose or his mercy that he saved us by the washing of the regeneration of God's word in our life. And so... Tribulation is not for purification to make us ready for heaven. If, if that's what you believe, then, then you believe in a Protestant version of purgatory. 
Okay? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you straight like it is. That if, 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 if works can get us to heaven, then Jesus died unnecessarily. Okay? So we need to understand that. All right? So um, in re we have four different, three different things that take place. There goes my glasses. Ugh. Let me move them out of the way. There's three different things that take place in the scripture. And we open up with there are seven seals that are going to be open. And then following the seven seals, there are seven trumpets that are going to be sounded. And then after that, in the last half of the tribulation, there are seven vials or seven bowls, some translation says. There are seven containers that are poured out. And what's interesting is that you find that in the seventh one here is the opening of the first trumpet, and in the seventh one here is the opening of the, the first vial is also contained in that. So there are three parts. There are the, the, the seals and the trumpets and the vials. Now... I want you to understand this part, and that is that the majority of what takes place during the tribulation period as far as the wrath of God. Remember, there is a difference between discipline and wrath. How many of you discipline your children? But you don't do it in wrath. You don't do it in anger. You discipline in love right? But God's wrath is judgment. And we read a week or so ago that the Bible says we have not been appointed unto wrath, okay? And so we, we, we see here that there is going to be a pouring out of God's wrath. The focus of that is going to be on the kingdom of Antichrist and the ten-toed nations that are in alignment, the ten kings who come into alignment with the Antichrist. And that means the focus of the wrath is going to be poured out in the Middle East, okay? What I mean to say by that is that the whole world is going to be shaken by the events that are taking place there. How many of you realize that things are already being shaken by by Russia simply um, invading into Ukraine. I just read the other day, there's a crisis in the UK. You know what it is? If you've ever been to the Great Britain, the UK, one of the big staple is fish and chips. You know, fish and french fries. It's not chips like potato chips, okay? But they are running into a shortage because 48% of all the white fish for the UK that is used in their fish and chips comes from Russia. And 49% of all the sunflower oil they use comes from the Ukraine. And so there's a shortage of fish, there's a shortage of oil just by one, two nations. And I'm telling you, there are things, historically, if I had time, I'd love to show you this intersection of cycles. That The Bible says to everything there is a season. 
and there are cycles in history, and they're all intersecting from the end of 2021 through the early part of 2025, and they point to a major war that could be a world war. And uh, we're looking at scripture and seeing that this is, this is not hard to, hard to see how this could happen. My point is that God's wrath will be poured out on the Antichrist and his kingdom, which will be in, mainly in the Middle East. However, every nation will feel the influence of the Antichrist in his coming to power and eventually when he comes to power and of the false church. There is a false church that will arise during that time. I mentioned it before. Um, if you've not heard the teaching before, I have some DVDs out there uh, on, the, on uh, anti-Semitism. And it is the key to the return of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that I, I point out is that there will be a false church. There will, the Antichrist is what? The anti of Christ. He is the, he is the false Christ that will arise. Then the Bible says that there will be one that will rise that will give power to the Antichrist. He is the false Holy Spirit. Who was it that came on Jesus after his water baptism, after coming out of the wilderness? It was the Holy Spirit came on him. And then he began his miracles and began his ministry. It was the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. There will be a false Christ. There will be a false Holy Spirit. And there is a false father God in Satan himself for the Antichrist is his offspring. Now, that's a lot to think about, but I'm just going to throw that out there and let you chew on that a little while. So in that, there's going to be a false religion, a one-world religion that will rise. We always hear about a one-world government. There will be a period of time during the first part of the tribulation that there will be a false church that will, be, uh, that will arise, and eventually the Antichrist will take control of that and put it down and re demand that the world pay homage to him and worship him as a god, okay? So that's kind of where we're at. Now the scene is set, that because we begin in chapter 6, we see in chapter 4 and 5, remember John has a vision, and he says, and a door was opened, and he sees the throne of God. Remember, he sees the throne, he sees the saints around, he sees the 24 elders, he hears the worship. Chapter 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Revelation, because it's a chapter of a praise and worship that's going on. The rapture of the church has taken place. The judgment seat of Christ that we studied last week is taking place. The wedding of, to Christ is going to be taking place while all this down here on earth is going to be taking place. And so these, these seals begin to open in chapter 6. And we're going to briefly look at each of the seals, each of the trumpets, each of the vials, and a couple other things in the middle of that, okay? So here's what I want you to understand. The church is gone, and the Antichrist and false church are on the earth, but they are going to begin to rise to power. Families are separated. Holiness is gone. 
Prayer warriors are missing. Satan's onslaught is going to run rampant because think of the evil that's in the world today. Think of the agendas that are being pushed today. And if it wasn't for those who would pray and those who would speak for righteousness, those things would just pass. And so the church is going to be gone and fear of the unknown is going to become common. Now, I want you to think about the fear that came upon the world in the last two years because of a virus. Because the unknown, it was, that's what it was, the fear of the unknown. All of a sudden, millions of people are gone. Geopolitical changes are going to take place. And God's wrath is going to begin to be poured out. And judgments are going to be made. And so from day to day to day to day, people are not going to know what's going to happen next. That saying is, what else could happen? Don't ask that. Not during that period of time. You won't want to ask that, okay? So the first seal comes in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, and it deals with a rider on a white horse. That's the first seal that opens up. And it says he's been giving a bow and he goes forth to conquer and to conquer is what the scripture says. He goes forth conquering and to conquer. And the purpose of that is to gain power. This is why uh, a lot of the movies like Left Behind, Left Behind series of books and things like that are, are bad theology because they say that as soon as the rapture of the church takes place, as soon as the Christians are gone, a world dictator comes to power. That's not what the Bible says. It says that that seal is opened and he comes forth on a white horse conquering and to conquer. In other words, he is an individual who has political clout, military clout already, but he's, he, so he's conquered, but he's going forth to conquer. In fact, as we read the scriptures in detail, when you go back and read it, you will see that it takes him three and a half years to form his kingdom. Okay? It's going to take three and a half years. This is why this idea that in 36 hours or so, 72 hours, a world dictator comes on the scene. It's just not going to, it's not going to happen. Okay? The, the key here is do not confuse the rider of the white horse in Revelation 6 with the rider of the white horse in Revelation 19. Okay? How many of you remember uh, last week when I was talking on the judgment seat of Christ, I said there are two types of crowns. There's one that is the word Stephanos, which means a temporary crown, like the ones they would weave for the Olympic runners, and they would put on them. It would last for a while until it would dry up and, 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 and die, because it was made of natural substance. But then there was the word um, diadem, which was meant for like a kingly person, okay? The rider in Revelation 6 comes forth to conquer and conquering. Jesus Christ, when he comes back in Revelations 19, he is not coming forth to conquer. How many of you know he's already the conqueror? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, okay? And so he's coming to establish this thousand-year kingdom on earth. He's coming to judge the nations of the earth that have survived the tribulation period of that time. Don't confuse the two. 
I know people who believe that the first seal opening up is Jesus coming back to earth to bring a river to bring a revival. But that's not what the scripture says. He's bringing war. Okay? Then the second seal is found in verses 3 and 4, and it's the red horse. So you have the white horse, and you have the red horse. And the red horse is symbolic of war. He's, conquer he's conquering. He's already, he has power under his control, and he goes forth to conquer. And this is symbolic of war. That's what the red horse is about. Okay, The third seal is a black horse. And the black horse is famine. And famine is always a result of war, especially in World War times, okay? Um, balances, it says, it talks about balances and scales, measurements of weight and food. In fact, it signifies the scarcity of food. I mean, people are panicking already right now because of high prices in food, and that we're being told it's going even higher. I have a feeling during the war, in World War II and World War I, but especially World War II, they had what were called victory gardens. And people put in gardens that had never had gardens. They did it on rooftops in cities. They, any place they could find some place to build a small garden, they'd build a garden. I have a feeling that we're going to be seeing that even in, in the coming months. In fact, I read an article yesterday or this morning that said it's going to take $5,200 this year for the average family to be able to maintain the lifestyle they had a year ago. $5,200 more than what they had last year. And I remember when I read that, instantly fear come, but then the Holy Spirit said, but I am your provider. I'll take care of you. You be faithful to the kingdom. You be faithful to God's word. And I've seen this happen. I've seen it in cycles in my lifetime. And I've seen when times got tough. I remember under President Jimmy Carter when the prime interest rate went over 20%. And mortgages were 23 and 24 and 25 percent interest. Yeah, some of you weren't even born then. We lived through it. I'm telling you, that's how bad it was, okay? And so uh, in, in, in the, the third seal, it talks about famine. It's, again, a result of war, but it signifies the scarcity of food and that it will be eight times higher than in times of peace. Okay, the fourth seal in Revelation is the pale horse, and it is it represents death and hell. Okay, it is the result of war, and over one fourth of the earth at that point will be destroyed as far as the population of the earth. By the time the tribulation period ends, this seven year period from this moment here to this moment here three-fourths of humanity will, will be killed. Three-fourths of humanity will die, either by the plagues or those who will be put to death because they become believers and the Antichrist martyrs them for the cause of Christ and the church. So the fourth seal deals with the pale horse and its death and hell. And then the fifth seal is found in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. 
And it's the first scene that we have of tribulation martyrs. Now, I want to point this out again. I've pointed it out twice before. But how many times have you heard someone teaching about the last days, the end times, whatever, that when the church is taken away, the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the world? That's a common teaching in the church today. But it's not so. Simply because the Bible tells us, and we'll see it in, in just another chapter, that there will be multitudes of people who come to know Jesus during the tribulation period. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except the Spirit of God draw them. Okay? So there will be tribulation saints. There will be those who come to Christ during that period of time. We have to understand that part of it. And this is where we see that this is, these are those who come to Christ after the rapture. In fact, the scripture tells us that the majority, many, many of them, will end up giving their life because of their profession of faith. And I always tell people, when I, when I talk to them, they say, well, it's too hard to follow Jesus. Um, you come under attack by people and their words. I said, do you know how hard it will be to follow him when the rapture takes place and you're still here? <laughs> it's going to be a lot harder. Okay? So this is the, those, those the, these tribulation martyrs, the majority of them will come out of the kingdom of the Antichrist. As he goes forth to conquer and to conquer and to, to win, there will many, he will die. And even as the atrocities we're seeing in Ukraine right now by Russian armies where they're lining people up and they're killing them and they're finding mass graves. How Hitler did the same thing to the Poles and to the Jews during World War II. The same thing will happen as the Antichrist begins to sweep across the, the nations of the earth to establish his kingdom. And, and there will be multitudes of people who come to Christ and they will be martyred for their faith. They will be told, denounce Christ or die. In fact, the scripture talks about the beheading of the saints. And I remember for many years thinking, that's just figurative because nobody beheads anybody anymore. And then how many years ago, ISIS shows up on the scene and we begin seeing beheading like, come on. The Bible, what's interesting is in, in, in Revelation 6 and 9 when it talks about the tribulation martyrs, it notice the fact that it says, and they have robes. And it says, and I saw the saint, the, the souls, the saints of those under the altar who had been martyred for their faith, and they were wearing white robes. Now I only point this out because people have an idea that the soul and spirit is kind of some mystical Casper the friendly ghost. Kind of, kind of thing, you know, just kind of floats out there, has no shape or form or anything like that. But it says they wore white robes. The souls and spirit of individuals has form. Okay? I just thought I'd throw that in there. The sixth seal is found in Revelation 6, 12 through 17. And this is where the wrath of God begins. 
Okay? The wrath of God begins. It, 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 because it is at this point, from here all the way through Revelation 19, going in 16, 17, 18, 19, that we see supernatural signs that are beginning to take place upon the earth. In fact, Revelation 6, 12 through 17 recognizes seven different classes of people. It says there it talks about kings and slaves. It talks about princes. It talks about rulers. And, and, and what happens is as these things are beginning to happen, we see a picture and the Bible says that all of a sudden for a moment, I don't know what, what the purpose is, but it says he, heaven is like split open and they look up and they see Christ. It says they see the Lamb of God upon his throne and fear strikes them. And it says, and the kings and princes and the rulers and the servants and the slaves and all of them, he says, and they cry out for the rocks to fall upon them and hide them from the face of the one who sits upon the throne. I don't know how that happens or when it's going to happen or how long it will be, but it's obviously long enough that the earth can see this. And then, of course, many years ago, when I was a teenager, we, you know, when I, we would say, you know, when I would read about the two witnesses and how when they die, the whole world will see that and they will be sending gifts to one another. And I'm thinking, how could that possibly happen? Now fast forward 50 years. And everybody's carrying something that can broadcast and text, and even send gifts and money. <laughs> wow. The seventh seal is found in Revelation 8 and 1. Now, there's two unique things there. First, as I mentioned before, the seventh seal also refers to the first trumpet, but there's something unique that happens with the seventh seal. And it says that there was a 30-minute period of silence in heaven. And I've heard all kinds of people who have tried to surmise what that 30 minutes of silence is. But I can tell you, it's 30 minutes of silence. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's never happened before. And it will never happen again. Because every picture from Genesis to Revelation that we have, every glimpse that there we have into the throne room of God, there is worship there is praise. There are words going forth from the four living creatures that surround the throne. The angels, the saints of God. It says it sounds like the voice of many waters, like the thundering of waterfalls. And yet for a 30-minute period of time, there'll be total silence 
in heaven. You say, what is it for? I told you, when the Bible is silent, we should be silent. But I have a thought that I think, to me, and that is because what is about to take place is of such gravity that all of heaven goes silent. And I can't imagine what that would be that would cause heaven to go silent. Then we get to chapter 7. Now, chapter 7, what, what we're looking at are chronological events, but there are certain events that are not in chronological order. They are what's called parenthetical. In other words, the idea is that in the midst of a timeline of events, there are certain ones that are inserted for us. It doesn't mean that it happens at that time, like a linear line timeline of things to go, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like that. It just means that somewhere on this timeline, as these events are rolling and unfolding, John sees certain things that are inserted for our knowledge and for our understanding. That's all the word parenthetical means. Basically, it means inserted, okay? And, and chapter 7 is not one of the seals, but it happens during the opening of the seals. And what we find, the first thing that takes place is after this period of silence, there is the setting aside or calling forth of the 144,000 Jews who will be sealed and anointed to preach the gospel. There will be 12,000 from each tribe, okay? 144,000. They are Jews. They're not Gentiles. They're Jews. Again, what did I say? That the tribulation period is mainly about bringing the nation of Israel, the Jews, back to Christ, right? And Sam, I see a few people like that. You might want to bump it up one or two. Is that okay? All right. The ceiling of 144,000. In other words, God says before... The wrath, before my wrath is poured out, before my judgments are poured out, what we have up to this point are natural events. We have a person who's going forth to establish a kingdom. Okay? And it brings war on the earth, and war brings famine, and famine brings pestilence, and it brings a scarcity of food, and it brings death, and hell because after death it says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment okay so these are natural things that seals have opened up but now all of a sudden he says before we go any further because the things that are about to take place are not natural they're supernatural they're coming from heaven so he says before we do this 
I need to call forth an army of evangelists, 144,000 Jews. And the Bible says that God puts his seal upon their foreheads, okay? And the seal is a lot like what I talked about this morning, the blood of of the lamb over the lamp over the doorpost of the Jews and that once the seal is upon their head the wrath and the punishment of God at, that's being poured out will not harm them okay and and a lot of people say well I just don't see this I don't understand this remember God has judged a nation before when he he judged Pharaoh and he poured out plagues and many of the things we're going to be read about in Revelation were similar things that he did in Egypt. And yet we see that the people of Israel in the land of Goshen, which was a part of Egypt, suffered none of the plagues. So he, he calls 144,000 Jews. Now, a lot of people wonder why 144,000 Jews? Again, this is about calling the people of Israel back to God. But he will call Jews from, all, from the four corners of the earth, if I can put it that way. And the reason being because many of them will already have the basic knowledge and understanding of the Torah of the Old Testament. And just like Paul, who was on his way to kill Christians, he who had been taught in the Jewish ways, he was a teacher, he was a Pharisee of that, of that belief, he had the understanding of the Old Testament, and when Jesus revealed himself to him, the revelation, the mystery became no longer a mystery, and he became the most powerful writer in the New Testament. So God is going to anoint 144,000 Jews from all the corners of the earth. The reason for that is that they will already speak the languages of the nations they will be going to. They won't have to be like normal missionaries who have to go to language school and learn a language for two years so they can actually get to the field. God's going to call them. I don't know who they are, what it takes. God knows who they are. He's going to put his seal on them. He says, before you do anything to the earth, he said, let me put my seal on them. And if you read it, it says, and, and from that came in the next few verses, you'll see, he said, there were multitudes, tens of thousands, millions of people who came to know Christ through their anointing, okay? So this is why I say one of the purposes of the tribulation is also to usher in a last day move of God, to turn Israel back to God. Why do they have to be turned back? Because they turned away from them when they rejected Christ, okay? The world is going to be confronted with the cross of Christ Imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls. And he comes and says, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine, okay? So we see from that the result of saints or the tribulation saints, those who are born again, because the Bible says in the end, when Christ comes back in Revelation 20, it says you and I will rule and reign with Christ 
We are who are his church, his bride, and the tribulation saints who are martyred during the tribulation, they too will be given places of government in that thousand year period of time. So there will be those who come to Christ during that period of time. So now we get to the seven trumpets, and that begins in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 7. And the first trumpet says that it is hail and fire mingled with blood. This is literal. Please hear me on this. I am so tired of ministers who teach the word and then I could tell you a famous one. You would, every one of you would know this person. And I remember when he first was teaching Revelation many, 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 many years ago. And I listened to him. And he would read several verses. And he'd go, that's not what it means. And then he would tell you what he said it meant. And then he would read several verses. And he'd go, but that's not what it means. This is what it means. And then he'd read some more. And he goes, but that's not what it means. Here's what it means. And I finally, after like two days of listening to him, said, I think God knows what he means. See, the problem is we try and understand these things with our own natural understanding. And in doing so, though, we bring God down to our level. And I have heard many prophecy teachers take this and say, this is some kind of tactical nuclear weapon, or this is some type of uh, new weapon that will come in the future, or whatever. It says it's hail and fire mingled with blood. It's literal, okay? God doesn't need any help. And it says the third part of the trees are burned up in all the green grass. If it was a nuclear weapon, there'd be more than just grass burned up, okay? It happened in Egypt in Exodus chapter 9, verses 20 through 26. The second trumpet is found in Revelation 8 through 8 through 9, and it says a burning meteor from heaven the size of a mountain falls and casts itself into the Mediterranean Sea, and a third of the sea becomes blood, and a third of the creatures die. It's God's wrath and the results of it, and a third of the ships are destroyed, because the Antichrist is now martyring saints, believers, okay? And, and God's word says, you reap what you sow. You want to take a life? It's coming back your way in full measure. I'm just telling you. It says it's a burning meteor from heaven. Well, I don't have any trouble with that. Because how many articles almost every month do I see about asteroids that are just being discovered that just missed the earth or just missed this or, or whatever. God has one somewhere on his timeline that's going to fall and hit in the Mediterranean Sea and turn it to blood. Well, you say, how's it turned to blood? A third of the creatures in, the, in, the, in that sea die. Blood. And a third of the ships are destroyed. The third trumpet is found in Revelations 8, 10 through 11. And it says a star named Wormwood poisons the water. A star. 
None of this speculation about what that star could be. Could it be a, a, a speak of some demonic power or is it some supernatural thing that takes place? I don't know. All I know is that a third of the rivers are poisoned, a third of the fountains and drinking water are poisoned, and men die all over the face of the earth. Okay? The fourth trumpet is Revelation 8 and 12. And it says the darkening of the planets, one-third of the suns, one-third of the moons, one-third of the, the stars. Imagine looking out one night, and all of a sudden, you can no longer see half of the sky. The stars are hidden. They're gone. The planets are gone. You can't find them. There's no orientation to them whatsoever. I remember my father, who was in the military, who flew uh, bombers, in, in uh, the early 60s, 70s, and 80s. But I remember him telling me uh, when we lived up in uh, uh, Massachusetts and he was flying up the East Coast. They'd been out flying for several days and all of a sudden they were headed back home and all of a sudden the largest blackout that has ever hit the United States hit the Eastern seaboard and like 13 states just disappeared off the face of the earth below them. And they said it was the most frightening thing. They said they, did, they didn't know because all communication was gone. There was no lights anywhere. The whole, like the eastern seaboard turned black. And he said, in our minds, we're thinking somebody just dropped a nuke. But they looked and there was no flash. There was nothing. And it was the power grid had gone out. And... And he said, but it was such a strange feeling just to see that disappear. Well, this is kind of in reverse. Those on the earth will no longer see a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. It is God trying to get mankind's attention. <laughs> These are supernatural events that are taking place. And what's interesting is that the first four trumpets affect vegetation. They affect the sea. They affect the rivers, and they affect the planets. And then comes an announcement of three woes. There's an angel that's passing through. John sees an angel, and he's, 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 he's saying, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. Woe unto them. He's talking about, because that which is about it to come is of even greater consequence. And he's, he inserts that. It's, it's, it's found there before the, during the time of the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet. But these angels are saying, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The fifth trumpet is found in Revelation 9. And the Bible says that an angel opens the bottomless pit. There is a bottomless pit. You say, where is it? I don't know. But it's right here on the map. The bottomless pit. We know it's there because the Bible says that the sin of the fallen angels that is found in the book of Genesis where it says they, be, they became, took on the form of men and went in and had relations with women on the face of the earth and the purpose was to stop the bloodline for the coming of Messiah the book of Jude tells us that these angels, the, the, this sin was of such consequence that they are bound with chains in the bottomless pit until the judgment at the end with the lake of fire. 
So there is already a bottomless pit. I don't know where it is, but it says here that the fifth trumpet, God sends an angel to open the bottomless pit. And I don't know about you, but nothing good can come out of a bottomless pit. And the Bible says that there are demon locusts that are loosed upon the earth, and they have the power of a scorpion to sting, and they are instructed to torment all peoples on the earth except the 144,000 for five months. See, again, another prophecy teacher said this is not... This is not demon locusts. He said, he said, these are future soldiers with these packs like Iron Man, you know, and they fly through the sky and they have lasers that can attack. The Bible says that God gives the command to these demon locusts. They come out of a bottomless pit. Come on, let's quit adding to what God's word says and take it for what it is. And it says they are given, they, it says men will seek death and flee from them, but they will not be able to find it. They're, they're not sent forth to kill, they're just sent forth to torment. And it, it describes them, it says they're shaped like locusts, their bodies are like horses, heads and faces like men wearing gold crowns, hair like women, sound of wings as horses and chariots to battle, tails like scorpions, and the leader of the bottomless pit is a fallen angel who comes forth with them. Can I tell you that's not a good sign, but that's what's coming. And then we have the sixth trumpet found in Revelation 9, 13 through 21. And it says it's the loosing of 200 million demon horsemen. Again, this is another example where many prophecy teachers say this is the Chinese army because they already have over 200 million in their army. And it speaks of them coming from the east. But I'm going to tell you that's wrong, okay? First of all, in the Bible, the east is always considered the Near East, the Middle East. It is not the east like East Asia. It's not China, okay? The Magi came from the east. And where did they come from? Mesopotamia. We have to understand the Bible terms that are used here, okay? And it says that these demon horsemen come out of the bottomless pit. Again, this is not a, 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 a human army of some kind. They, this, is, this is demonic. And their purpose now, remember the, 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 the ones we were, the demon locusts that were loosed were to torment for five months. And it said men would pray to die but would not be able to die. It says here that these 200 million demon uh, horsemen or demonic beings that are loose, their purpose is to slay one-third of the population to kill. So five months was torment, and now death is going to come, all right? And these are literal creatures too. The Bible says their forms are like horses and they have angelic riders or 
some kind of angelic creatures. Their heads are like lions and out of their mouths issue fire and smoke and brimstone and it is the manner in which they kill men. And, and here's, here's the thing that's so hard to understand. When we read the story of Pharaoh, when Moses would go to him and each time he would say, let my people go. And each time Pharaoh, the Bible says, would harden his heart. Remember? And he would make it even harder upon the Jewish people, even though Moses was saying, God says, let my people go. And we say, how could that possibly be? But you know what? The Bible says right here that at this point, now these are not natural things. This is not natural war. These are supernatural things. Hail falling from heaven mixed with blood. The sky, the nights disappearing, the stars, the sun. Now all of these things are taking place. Demon locusts being loosed out of the bottomless pit. And the Bible says that the attitude of the people who do not die says that they do not repent, but instead they curse God. And it says, and they continue to worship gold, silver, and brass, and witchcraft. It's in there. Go read it. Even though we've seen a place where the heavens split open, and they saw the Son of God on his throne in glory, and they said, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and now wrath is being poured out, you would think that they would come and beg for the mercy of God, but instead they harden their hearts even more, and they lift their fist and curse God. It's at this time that during this time, the Antichrist has been going forth to conquer and to make a kingdom unto himself. And if we had time to teach it, I wish we did have time to teach it, but we're running out of time because of summer coming and everything else. But there are, Daniel had a vision and he saw several different empires that came. And then we have what's called the ten-toed nations, ten kings that they will be ruling and reigning. There is coming a time before a one world government comes, the world is going to be divided in some way in 10 regions. And there'll be 10 governors or prime ministers or rulers. I don't know how that's going to come about. I'm not going to be here when it happens. So I ain't worried about it. But there will be 10 kings and they will be in power as the Antichrist begins to come on the scene and go forth to establish his kingdom. And the Bible says that two of those kings will be killed. And it says that the Antichrist, I wish I had time to teach this, the Antichrist will be killed. But then he will be raised from the dead. And when he is raised from the dead, the other kings who see it will give their allegiance to him. They're like, who can defeat somebody who rises from the dead? Did I tell you not that there was going to be a false Christ? What did Jesus do? He died and was raised from the dead. This Antichrist will 
rise, will die, and rise from the dead. And when that happens, these ten kings, these ten nations, they will give their allegiance to this individual who at that time becomes the ruler over this, these ten regions. I don't know how much of the earth that it will encompass. I have no idea. But this man has come to power. This individual has come to power. And somewhere in this timeline, Israel has made an agreement prior to this. Because you remember I said the thing that starts the tribulation is not the rapture of the church. It is the nation of Israel signing a covenant, some kind of agreement with a person who will guarantee their security. So I, but that's why I say this person who comes forth on the white horse it says conquering and to conquer. Conquering means he already holds a position of influence in politics, in governmental rulership. So whoever this individual is, he will make an agreement with Israel that I will protect you from your enemies. And he will have that kind of influence that Israel will sign that covenant. And that's what begins this seven-year period of time. The clock begins at that moment, okay? So now what's happened is the Antichrist has gone forward. He has conquered nations. He has made a confederacy of nations with these ten kings. And in the middle of the seven-year period of time... What's happened here, Israel is now going back and a temple has been built. It could be built before the rapture. It could be built afterwards. It could be built during the first part of the tribulation. We don't know. But they've been allowed by this person has guaranteed them that they can go back to offering daily sacrifices as it was commanded in the Old Testament. And it is at this point in the middle of this seven-year period of time this Antichrist has now become a world political governmental ruler. And it is at this point that he now unveils his true self. Because the Bible says that he, in the middle of the week, he goes into the temple. Now, a Gentile going into the Jewish temple defiles it. But he goes into the Holy of Holies and sits in there and now declares himself to be God and demands that the world worship him as God. And that's where the mark of the beast comes in. Because from that point, he says, you will no longer be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark. And, and the way you get it is by willingly choosing to worship him and declare him as God. That's why I tell Christians all the time who are sold out to Jesus, don't worry about the mark of the beast. Well, what about this technology? What about the chip? What about this? What about this? Those are things that are paving the way for when that time will come. But this thing about the mark is not even for now. It doesn't happen until the middle of the tribulation period. And it's when he demands that you worship him. And the only way you can get the mark is to voluntarily take it and worship him. That's why I remember the first message I taught on the origin of Satan. What was it that he wanted? He was the overarching 
archangel. Remember that over was over God's throne. The other, I mean, not archangel. The 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 help me out. Cherubim. That's right. The cherubim. Thank you. You listen. Wow. Oh, that's great. I can quit right now. <laughs> he was the overarching cherubim. The others gird the throne, but he over was like the arch over it. And he decided that what? He wanted the worship that was going to God. And he said, I will ascend to the hills. I will ascend my throne above God's. I will do this. I will. And they will worship me. That's what he's wanted from the beginning. When he came to Jesus in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, what was the final thing he said? All the kingdoms of the earth are mine. And people, I've heard preachers say he's a, that was a lie. No, it wasn't. It was his. Adam surrendered dominion over, all the, over the whole earth. Satan was back in, in control. He said, if you will bow and kneel and worship me, I will give you all this. We see this from Genesis all the way into the tribulation that Satan wants worship. And now he's, want, now he's doing it through his proxy, his offspring of the Antichrist. Just as God overshadowed a woman and Christ was born, Satan will do the same thing. That's what we read in Genesis 3 and 15. The seed of the woman and your seed will be at enmity. I will make them to be enemies and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Because the whole thing is about worship. Satan wants the worship and he hasn't given up on it. He hasn't given up on it. And when we refuse to bow our knee before God and surrender our lives to Christ, we are in essence worshiping Satan. He wants open worship. That's what he wants. And so in the middle of the week, he goes into the temple. He defiles it by sitting there and declares himself to be God, demands that people worship him. He breaks the covenant with Israel, that seven-year agreement with Israel. He breaks that covenant with them. And not only that, that during this period of time, there are two witnesses that we read about in, in Revelation um, chapter 11. And it says their job is to preach every day in the city of Jerusalem. They preach every day, and anyone who tries to kill them is put to death. They, they are killed. God's like supernatural force field, if I can put it that way, is around them. And, and they're struck dead, anyone who tries to kill these two witnesses. For three and a half years, they preach to the Jews and to the people in the city of Jerusalem about Jesus Christ. And so when... When the Antichrist breaks this agreement in the middle of that seven-year period, the two witnesses who have been untouchable up to that moment now are able to be put to death. And the Bible says 
that they are put to death and they are left in the streets. Now you have to understand, in the Middle East, that's, that's a no-no. In the Middle East, most, most families will bury their dead the same day. Or if it's late in the evening or late in the afternoon, it'll be the next morning. But they leave their bodies in the streets and it says for three and a half days. Why three and a half days? Well, because they've been preaching for three and a half years or three and a half days according to Daniel's vision. And it says, and after three and a half days, the breath of God goes into them and they, are, they rise up and all of the world sees them and then they are caught up into heaven. And again, that was one of those things when I was younger going, how could that possibly happen? Can I tell you YouTube and Facebook and everything else, metaverse, whatever you want to call it, they're going to go crazy when those two guys are raised from the dead and taken up into heaven. Okay? So this is happening in the middle of these trumpets that are going off. Then the seventh trumpet is Revelation 11 through 13 and 8. And, and in ch chapter 12, we read about the sun-clothed woman. And this is a scene that is in heaven, okay? But it symbolizes what's taking place on the earth. Now, there are very a lot of different interpretations about this, but the sun-clothed woman is Israel, and the dragon is Satan, and the man-child is Jesus. And we see this because this is what took place on the earth. The word was that the seed of the woman would come forth and destroy you. So we see a picture of a woman in the, in the heavens and she's with child and the dragon is waiting for the child to come forth that he may devour the child, right? But the Bible says that, that before that could take place, he's taken up into heaven. This is a picture of what has taken place on the earth but verse 6 tells us that it's at this point when the, when the um, Antichrist declares himself to be God and defiles the temple that the Bible says that Israel flees into the wilderness. It's the land of Petra where they will stay for three and a half years. This is where Jesus says, when you see certain things taking place, do not go back, if you're on the roof of your house, do not go back down to get your clothes. Run for the hills. He said, pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Why? Because there's no public transportation in Israel on the Sabbath. He said, pray that it's not in the wintertime. Why? Because there are wadis that... that can bring instant flash flooding from the time of winter that is normally dried up. He says, pray that you not be pregnant with child because to flee and be pregnant with child will be a very difficult thing to do. And the Bible speaks of in Isaiah 16 and Isaiah 26 that God is going to protect them and there are people that are going to feed and house and protect the Israelites during the last three and a half years. And I mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again tonight that this is known as the tribulation, the seven-year period. But the last half is known as the Great Tribulation. And the reason it's called the Great Tribulation is because of the intensity of the destruction 
and judgment that is going to carry, be carried out on the earth. And so the last three and a half years are the worst part of the seven years. In fact, it's at this point that the Antichrist realizes that his main goal is to destroy every last Jew on the face of the earth. And if you don't understand that, then that, that teaching out there on anti-Semitism, is it prophecy or prejudice? It will help you to understand that because there is one condition according to the Old Testament that is necessary for Jesus Christ to come back to earth again. Not for the rapture, for the church, but to literally come back to earth and it deals with Israel. And so Satan knows that if he can destroy Israel, he can stop the second coming of Christ. And you say, that's not possible. Well, it would be possible if he could stop every Jew and destroy every Jew. But there are 144,000 Jews that he cannot stop. And there are two that were in the city that God raised from the dead and took them to heaven. But he's fighting it out to the end to try and destroy the Jews. In fact, when you read the battle plans, when we get to the campaign of Armageddon in two weeks, that's what we're going to do, the campaign of Armageddon, and talk about this, that it's more than just Jesus going up in the sky and then coming back down again. That's, that's not what it's about. It's a series of battles, and it, it starts actually in Petra, what we just talked about, and leads to Jerusalem. And when Christ comes back again, it, all of these things that's going to take place, it's, it's a phenomenal event that's going to take place on planet Earth. Okay? So let's move on to the last half quickly. And it begins with the vials or the bowls in Revelation 16, 2 through 21. In Revelation 16 and 2, it says, There are boils, open ulcers, that will come upon all those who take the mark of the beast. Notice that. Those who take the mark of the beast. It's supernatural cause. It's divine judgment. It's not a natural thing. The plagues are coming from heaven. In 16 and 3, it's the second vial. It says, then the Mediterranean Sea becomes blood, and every living soul dies in the sea, marine life and human. We've seen this in Egypt, where the rivers turn to blood. The third vial is Revelation 16, verses 4 through 7. The rivers turn to blood, and judgment is never sent until God's mercy is completely rejected, and it becomes futile. See, God is a God of mercy and a God of, of, of love. But there comes a point when, when they say no, 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 no. Then God says, then the judgment that you have chosen is now going to come upon you. And those who received the plague have killed the saints and the prophets. And it is the law of the harvest. Again, you reap what you sow. The fourth vial deals with Revelation 16, 8 through 9. And the Bible says that the sun becomes, becomes blistering hot. There's great heat that comes from the sun. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, that's why it's climate change and we're destroying the ozone layer and all that kind of stuff. Can I tell you, God doesn't need man to do anything. He makes the sun as hot as he wants. He made it. If he wants to turn it up a few billion degrees, he can do that. Really. And uh, the Bible says 
and read it 16 and 8 through 9. It says, and the people of the earth blaspheme God and do not repent. I mean, what does it take? Boils, things falling out of the sky, rivers turning to blood, and, and they still blaspheme God. The fifth vial is found in Revelation 16, 10 through 11. And it says darkness is poured out on the earth. It's poured out on Jerusalem because at that point, the Antichrist has moved his throne, his government seat to Jerusalem. He starts in Babylon and Babylon is a literal city. I don't know if you know it, but after the enduring and after the Iraq war, the United States poured millions, millions of taxpayer dollars into Iraq and rebuilt the city of Babylon. And if you remember anything about Babylon from your early history days, at least I remember, that it was one of the seven wonders. The, 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 the gardens of Babylon were like one of the seven wonders of the world. And, and I have pictures on my computer of a man who snuck in and got pictures of what has been rebuilt there. And this person who will arrive, he will, his seat will be in Babylon but he will transfer it to Jerusalem in the middle of the week, that seven-year period of time. So darkness is poured out upon the earth, but especially upon Jerusalem, like darkness was poured out on Egypt. And all of the Antichrist kingdom is going to suffer this darkness. And, and I, I've read articles about how darkness can actually be felt how it affects the, affects the psyche and the mind. It's so dark. In fact, Jesus said, he said, that they will be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The sixth vial in six, Revelation 16 and 12 deals with the drying up of the Euphrates River. And again, I've heard so many people talk about this, but it's interesting that right now there are droughts taking place around the world and the Euphrates River is already beginning to dry up. And that simply makes it easier for the armies under Antichrist to come from the east across a dry river towards the land of Israel. And then the seventh vial is in Revelation 16, 17 through 21. And says there is a great earthquake and hail measuring somewhere between 100 to 125 pounds each will fall from the sky. Now I've seen golf ball size hail and baseball size hail and seen the damage it can do. I bought a car one time in El Paso, Texas, drove it up to North Texas only three days later for it to be pounded by baseball-sized hail. My nice little car was beat up. Imagine hail weighing over 100 pounds. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about falling from the sky and earthquakes. In fact, there are five points in the tribulation period that there are total darkness 
or blackouts on the face of the earth. We don't have time to cover every one of those things tonight. But I'm trying to help you understand something. And the earthquake that takes place under the seventh vial, Revelation 16, 17 through 21, says it is so great that the city of Jerusalem literally is divided into three parts. That's how great the, the earthquake is. And it's at this point that in the tribulation is coming to the end of the seven-year period and it sets up for what is known as the campaign of Armageddon, the period of time of Armageddon. Satan, through the Antichrist, and through the false prophet who's given power for him to do signs and wonders to sway the people. In fact, there says there are three ambassadors that, that John saw that had spirits come out of them that looked like frogs. And they went forth with great power to sway the nations of the earth to come into allegiance with the Antichrist. And he tells them that Christ is coming back from heaven and their purpose is to gather all the armies of the earth that they might destroy Christ when he comes again. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody's coming from heaven, that's a fight I'm really not wanting to get in. But they're so deceived and so swayed. Again, remember, the Antichrist is able to sway. In fact, the Bible says that if God did not have a period on his timeline where the intervention of heaven would take place, the very elect, speaking of the Jews, they would com be completely destroyed. Because the earth, the nations of the earth, will be in alignment with the one who wants to destroy the people of God that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. And it is during this time, at the end of the tribulation, in the final few days of the tribulation, when the people of Israel, see the armies of the earth surrounding Jerusalem, that they begin to cry out to God, and it is there that they make the discovery that is hid in the word. It's hid right under their nose of what they must do. To, and it brings about the fulfillment of what Jesus or the scriptures say in Isaiah that a nation will be born in a day. There will be a national regeneration. They will be born again by the spirit of God and Christ will come back and deliver them. But it takes something on their part. So all of this is coming to bringing the pressure to bear upon Israel. And judgment's being poured out upon the Antichrist in his kingdom. But he's not concerned for himself. He's out to destroy the seed of the woman. And once that is done, he will see his plan is complete. But Jesus is coming back before that happens. Because the people, the leadership of Israel will search the word of God. And they will find 
what God demands, and they will fulfill that one thing, and in doing so, trigger the events of heaven where Jesus Christ comes back to earth, and we come back with him. And that will begin the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. So there's one part left, and that's the battle or campaign battles of, of Armageddon. And then Christ returns. So this is where we stop tonight. Okay? Was it enough? You can understand. Was it simple enough to kind of get the basic? Yeah, some of them going, yeah. I'm sorry. I know it's a lot. And, and again, the study guides and everything, they have so much more information. Break it down. But the last time I did it, we took actually three sessions just to do the tribulation. And that's just not working on the calendar for us before summer comes. I want to get those major things in. Yes, ma'am. Yes, the DVDs and CDs, they have all that out there with the study guides. I see you got one of the books right there. It, we filmed it a few years, probably about five or six years ago. In fact, it was just about eight or nine weeks after I had bilateral knee replacement. And so you may see a few times I'm trying to walk up these stairs and I'm walking gingerly up these stairs and because uh, I was still getting my legs back, so to speak, well, literally getting my legs back. And, um, but it does go into much more detail on those things. This is just kind of an overview, the cliff notes of it, okay? So questions? Anyone? All right. They just representations. He said, are the horses physical or are they just representations? When the seals open and the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse, those, those are representations. In other words, the white horse is the one who's coming to conquer. Red horse symbolizes war. Um, black horse has to do with the famine that comes. And then the pale horse uh, deals with death. So it's symbolic. And what is the difference between the white horse and the red horse? Because you said they like both brought war, and I got confused. The white horse represents the Antichrist, the, the rider who is on it. It says he's been given a bow, and he is going for He's conquering and conquer. And that brings about the red horse, which is war. In other words, so this deals with the person of the Antichrist, and the result of him coming forth is war on the earth. And the result of war brings famine, where the scales are weighing out, where things cost so much more because of destruction. And the result of famine is death. Okay? Good questions. Got a thumbs up from my grandson. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes? When you spoke of the one world religion, right? Um, I know that in some other countries there are already state religions, and I was wondering if there's any evidence of what that could mean, if it would be a false Christianity or possibly one of those. There is already at work in the earth a movement to align all the major religions. Um, from Christendom, Muslim, Hinduism, 
all, all of them, um, um, uh, there is already leaders. In fact, I just read last week where one of the leading rabbis in Israel is meeting, has already met with the Pope and, is, and then went uh, recently to, I think it was um, don't, uh, UAE, uh, the United Arab Emirates and Arab Emirates and met with leaders there. And there was another article just in the last few days about a leader from, uh, in fact, it was yesterday or this morning I read it, um, in the Muslim faith, who is a very strong, powerful influence in Orthodox Muslim, not the extremist Muslims, but the Orthodox Muslim. And he is saying, we have talked about uniting long enough. It's time for action. And so there is already at work among people of different faiths to come united under one ecumenical type of movement um, and to roll them all in one. So it's not like a all-in-one Christian faith, okay? I mean, I can tell you how many people I will tell you, can't tell you how many I know who are convinced that the Pope is going to be the head of the One World Church. And they use all kinds of things to make it work out that way. But listen, what the Bible talks about is that there is going to be a unification of major faiths coming under one umbrella. And I don't know what that's going to look like or what it will end up being, but there is going to be not only a world government that I believe in the beginning because of the ten-toed nations or ten regions, ten kings who will rule, have rulership in this government, but there will become a world, a, a false church. And we read about that in Revelation 17, the, the woman, um, it talks about the, the, the woman in scarlet who's riding this beast and everything else. So there's going to be a one world religion. And this makes it easier. Now think about this. This makes it easier that not only will there be one government that he overcomes two of the kings, he kills two of the ten kings, and then he dies and is raised from the dead and the remainder kings see that and say, who can, who can go up against that? We, we surrender. So he becomes not only a leader of all world governments, okay, regions of region governments. Now he enters the temple and declares himself to be God. And now because there has been one world religion, false church, he now supersedes that and he says, I don't want to just be a world political leader. I don't want to just be a world military leader. I want to be a one world religious leader. And it makes it easier for him. So there are things already at work in our day that will pave that way, that when that time comes, it will just fit into place. Does that kind of answer your question? Anybody else? Is that a hand raised or if you're just leaning that way? Okay. <laughs> uh, for the 10 kingdom, or like the 10 kingdoms or governments, uh, is that now the... 10 best, like the uh, biggest one, or is that... Like it doesn't say. It just says that there will be 10 kings. There will be 10 rulers that in that period of time. So we're already seeing things moving toward 
world, one world currency. We're seeing things that are, uh, we're in a, moving to a one world banking system. We are global. When, when something happens in one nation, it affects every other nation on the earth now. It's like the proverbial dropping a rock in the lake kind of thing. And so th these 10 rulers will be ruling and, and it's not the 10 best or the 10 most powerful or whatever. And, and to be honest, I don't, I personally don't believe America has a part in the last days. I have a whole teaching on that, but I just don't see America in there. And when you look at what's taking place in our nation today, the downfall of America is accelerating. And it's going to do so. And the only thing that is keeping us in the place that we have right now is the almighty dollar. But governments are already at work to undermine the petrodollar. See, all the nations of the earth, if they wanted to buy oil, had to convert their currency to the U.S. dollar. That was the arrangement that Richard Nixon made with uh, President Nixon made with uh, uh, OPEC. And so, but now all of a sudden, China's making deals with India and China's making deals with Russia and making deals with some of the OPEC nations that they can they can use the Chinese yuan to buy oil. They don't need the U.S. dollar anymore. And there are other nations that are bypassing the U.S. dollar. And that's what keeps the dollar propped up because we are trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. And the one reason people keep buying our debt is because they need U.S. dollars to buy oil. But if that goes by the wayside, then the dollar collapses and America loses its stranglehold of power upon the earth. And I firmly believe that that's going to happen for two reasons. One, because of the sin of this nation. There are over 60 million babies crying out from the earth. And the blood of Cain alone. <laughs> Abel's blood cried out. Just one man. 60 million. And look at the perversion that's creeping into our nation and in the highest levels of government in the land. It was Billy Graham's wife years ago who said that if God does not judge America for its moral collapse, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That was prophetic. Because the same God, he doesn't change. And somehow Americans think that somehow God loves us best. No, that's not what the Bible says. And we've turned our back on God. And so judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. We may be a superpower today. And to be honest, until about a month and a half, two months ago, everybody thought Russia was. And they still have the means to wipe out the world. But look what's happened. Their invasion has stalled. And Putin is now being threatened to be overthrown. And the guy who's standing in the wings to take his place is 10 times more ruthless than Vladimir Putin. You say, well, how does that fit into prophecy? Don't know. But I'm watching it. Anybody else? Are you going to teach like a dog in 
you not getting into the, the Russia deal? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. There, I might at some point somewhere talk about it. There are certain wars that must take place before the tribulation and during the tribulation. And Psalms 83 is one. Isaiah um, 17 is one. Ezekiel 38 and 39, that is another one. These are things that must take place. And we're seeing, there, but there's a lot of teaching out there that this is a fulfillment of prophecy with Russia invading the Ukraine. But to be honest, I disagree with that. It is, it is certainly interesting, and maybe it is putting a crack in the door for a future thing to take place. But I do not see this as a fulfillment of prophecy, at least not at this time. Because the Bible is clear that there will come a confederation from the north that will invade the land of the beautiful, which is, which is Israel. And so if people look at the north and they see Russia. And, uh, but it doesn't name Russia in that confederacy. Then there's the nations of, in, in, in Psalms 83 that are listed. And they're led by Persia, which is now modern-day Iran. So there, there are a number of prophecies about battles and wars that must come to pass. Before the tribulation, some are before the tribulation, some during the tribulation period. So those two names in the Bible don't refer to Russia directly? No? Let's put it this way. I can make an argument both ways. I can make an argument both ways. Gog of Magog. Gog is a title of an individual of the land of Magog. And there are those who think that that speaks of Russia. But it is a confluence of nations that used to exist in a specific geographical location. So is Gog a prince over a confederacy to come, a government to come, or a loose organization to come, there's no way of knowing. Is he from Russia? Is he from other nations? There's no way of knowing. I, like I said, I can make the argument both ways, but if you can do that, then there's something wrong with the argument or, or the, the whole process in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. One more question. Um, oh yeah. Huh. Uh, so you have the, uh, well, they have the, uh, on the thing, they have the line from the, from, uh, the head, the golden head to the toes. So is the ten kings coming from Babylon? Because it's all connected from, from the Babylon Empire. No. In, in, in Daniel's vision, he sees this, this statue, if I can put it that way. And it, gold, silver, brass, iron, feet mixed with clay and iron. Okay? This was the Babylonian kingdom. This is the Medo-Persian Empire that it, this has already existed. The Grecian Empire that split the Roman Empire, 
Roman Empire split into two parts. You had the Eastern Roman and, and the Western Roman Empire. And you, this was the Western was under the papal, was under the Pope in Rome. And the Greek was, uh, the Eastern was under the Greek Orthodox Church. And, and so this is what's taken place. And those nations have already, he saw them happening. But what's coming out of it is a final a final grouping of ten kings, and it says that they're clay mixed with iron. And the point of that is that the the metal gives some strength, but the clay also gives weakness. And so it is a future alliance or government or regional government leaders that are to come. The others have already taken place. Daniel saw them take place. Saw them, and we know from history they've all taken place. Good question. Real good question. Okay? Thank you so much. Let me remind you, next week is Resurrection Sunday. We're not going to meet that night. And, and pray that it will be a blessed time for you. If you have questions between now and then about this lesson here, or questions that may pertain to it, text me, email me, write it down, hand it to me, or whatever. And then before we get into the teaching on the campaign of Armageddon, which will be much more link, um, much more detailed. Um, I don't know. Well, this was detailed, but I mean, more even more detailed, uh, specific. Let's put it that way. Uh, just confined to that one little that one subject. Um, we'll answer those questions at the beginning and then go right into the teaching. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these that have come, that have shown interest in your word. They're hungry to know and understand. But as I've prayed so many times, God, don't let it just be facts in our mind. Because it's like the man who took the scroll and when he ate it, it was sweet like honey. But when it went into his stomach, it became bitter. Father, we, we can be thrilled to know that we are saved and that God, you are going to deliver us from the wrath of, that is going to be poured out upon the judgment and evil upon the earth. But God, that does not mean there will not be difficult times. That does not mean there will not be trying times. Even as the children of Israel never suffered from the plagues, but they suffered from the consequences of the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. God, that's that we are not promised to escape difficulties. In fact, Jesus, you said in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. Father, let us take what we learn and let it transform us and let us see people that need to know the gospel of Christ and of his love and mercy and his offer of hope to change their lives. And I pray this for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.